Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today, my guest is uh, Jean Philippe Prosper. Jean uh, Philippe is an independent director and former vice president of global services at the International Finance Corporation of the World Bank Group. He's retired now and he works as an executive director of companies in the United States, Latin America, and Europe. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Philippe. Uh, when he was a vice president doing some work in mining in Guinea, Conakry and many parts of Africa. And so it's lovely to see you and speak with you again, uh, Philippe. Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. It's a pleasure talking to you again. And one thing I'd like to add, because it's very dear to me, I spent a lot of time in Africa and actually I was also vice president for Africa and Latin America. And I'm still uh, actually working in Africa. Some of my corporate boards are in Africa, just to mention that. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's, it's nice to uh, know that you haven't ex exactly left the continent. Thank you for your interest. My pleasure. So I, I mean, at the risk of uh, stating the obvious, let's just go to uh, ground zero and say, you know, based on your experience, what really is the difference between governments managing relations with investors and merely regulating the environment in which investors operate? That's huh, interesting question. Um, I, I guess let me try to, to make a comparison. It, it's really uh, actually, we're talking about service, regulating investor activities, um, it's, you have a set of regulations. I mean, it's the same like it's a central bank. If I want to make that analogy, regulating the financial markets, what banks can do, what cannot, they cannot do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, same thing for investor activities. What are, um, what are the rules they have to abide by? What they have to follow and this and that. So as long as they meet those criteria, they are not quote unquote in trouble. Managing the relations with investors, to me, is the most important, is the most critical for any country if you really want to attract investment. It's really what I would call providing good service. Uh, why would you go to this country rather to that, that country? It's about the same as, frankly, if you were to go to a restaurant, if I want to exaggerate a little bit. It's really the quality of the service that is provided to you. And in managing investor relations with investors, one critical uh, in, I would say, institution that you have in certain countries, or I would say office, it's really investment promotion. If they do their job properly, they will be attentive to investors, whether it's local or foreign for that matter. It's being there. When investors have issues, they can come. Yes, there are certain regulations, but you have to be there available to help them go through the maze and how to do X, how to do this here and there. So really it's a fundamental difference. And I think that's what makes a huge difference between really attracting investors and just having people coming because there are a few things here and there, because you have access to certain raw materials or access to this or that, but other countries may have the same. So for you to make the difference, it really relies on how you manage 
the relations with your invest with the investors. So if one thinks about it, then it's, it, it sits in the space of uh, countries offering a value proposition, but at the same time, really developing their national brands so that they stand apart and use this, uh, to your point, as a competitive edge relative to others. Would that be correct? That is, that is perfectly correct. And frankly, um, one point in case uh, at least I, I can talk about my personal experience. Um, I would say I remember uh, in the early days of Rwanda coming out of after you know the genocide era and changing the face of the country. Um, when Rwanda created um, their investment promotion center, it's it was really what made the difference there being very proactive and being welcoming and helping apart from the fact that you know the the, the discipline that you have you have there and how you know it's straightforward it things you can do here and there nothing is perfect i'm sure they have some shortcomings like anybody else but the, the level of service and what they have provided to investors have made a huge difference and frankly, today, when you look at you know, the amount of investment that Rwanda is attracting today compared to, I don't know, what they were doing five or 10 years ago, it's a world of difference, just to take that as an example. Mm. So it seems obvious then that uh, you know, it's important for governments to really consciously make a distinction between merely regulating and putting laws and regulations in place and proactively attracting investment. In your experience, especially in emerging uh, market countries, how well do government understand this difference and how well uh, do they provide for the necessary resources and institutions to manage uh, these uh, investor relations? Um, you know, I don't know how to say whether they understand or, or not in some cases, or whether you don't have, frankly, the right people who really want to do the right thing for their countries. Th that's a big question, you know, one, one can ask, uh, you know, herself or himself. However, I would say that indeed, this is a fundamental difference to really understand. And I would say, um, what you call the IFIs, international financial institutions, they may have a role to play in their advice to government in, in that regard to help them. Um, I don't want to refer too much on the, to the doing business, you know, that uh, used to be done uh, by the World Bank Group because as you know, there have been a number of controversies about it uh, uh, lately. However, I would say this really, uh, the, the principle, the fundamental principle in the ease of doing business, that's, that's what it is in a way. And it's not just saying, well, yes, you have the government uh, putting in place the proper regulation, the proper that's going to help facilitate but you have also to work with them and try to explain or to infuse, if you want, that 
that approach and how to do things and how why things work this way or that way. And I have to say, at least based on my experience, and I again, I, 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 I will return uh, to Rwanda, which is a country which is very dear to my heart, um, where I have seen, you know, the difference, you know, the impact of the work that uh, the World Bank Group has done in that regard. When I mentioned uh, the, what are the investment promotion center and other activities, I mean, this is thanks to the Rwandese themselves. I mean, they were the one who wanted to do it. We were fortunate that we had um, on the other side, uh, a group that was willing to change things and that was already doing things on their own. We were just a facilitator. However, that was, that's again, a very good example. Of course, there are other examples, you know, whether it's uh, in Africa or Latin America or Asia, where, you know, at the time, uh, some IFIs had worked to help on that. But yes, it, it, it is fundamental that the mindset and people will be willing to make that difference. So, um, of course, in any relationship, there, there's two parties. And, and for the relationship to uh, advance in any way, you need the contribution of both. So when you think about uh, government and investor relations, uh, I mean, can you perceive a specific role for the investors themselves? We've spoken about what the government must do. Uh, create an environment which it is easy uh, for investors to come in and, and, and function. What of the investors? What should uh, governments expect of them, at least in so far as maintaining a healthy relationship is concerned? Well, I think you, you just said you just said you know the right thing on that. You have two parties involved. It must be both parties. And when investors don't play ball, if I can use that expression, you have trouble. Because obviously governments cannot stay here and because maybe you might be a big multinational or because you are you know, investing significant amount of money and you want to play by your rules, not by the rules. And that's, and I think the, the role, what investors should do is to abide by the rule and respect, and, and I insist on that word, respect, you know, local authorities, respect local rules and regulation. And uh, as I was saying earlier, when you have those investment promotion center, that's their roles, you could do that. You, you could go there and facilitate and have discussion, proper discussion, respect people say, well, but it cannot work this way for me because of X, Y, Z. And they can see how you can manage things. But however, what you need is that fundamental respect and the kind of behavior that you should respect you know, from investors that uh, really want to abide by the rules, are not trying to bribe, are not trying to do X, Y, Z, etc. Yes, definitely. You need both. You, you need both to tangle. Absolutely, that's correct. So, I, I want to go back to Rwanda because I I know Rwanda quite well myself. Uh, just post-war, I worked for a foundation, and we're doing voluntary work, and I, I can appreciate. Uh, 
just how far the country has come from those few days when together with the people we worked with, we used to carry laptops just to help the ministers and other officials start the country off. So, so I appreciate that uh, you understand that, but give me a bit of detail, not on Rwanda per se, but just in general. When we say create an environment in which uh, ease of doing business, you know, is the new normal. What does that mean? Can you break that down for us? What do we mean by ease of doing business? Well, ease of doing business, um, if you were to take, um, again, if I go back to what I know, or it was the, what the, the ease of doing business, what was used to be published, uh, you know, by the World Bank Group, you have different um, sections and different, you know, criteria. One of them I would take it, let's say something I still see every day in a number of countries. If you have to, let's say you, you're, let's say you're a manufacturing company, or regardless, but I'll take the example of a manufacturing company and you're importing your raw materials, but it takes 20 days to get them out of customs for something that could be done the same day, just because of pure bureaucracy of people who are trying to do red taping and you know and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't want to, to be in that country. Of, of course, you might still be there because maybe you have relatively cheap labor or relatively X, Y, Z, but frankly, other countries eventually will offer the same, will offer the same thing and you'll be gone. So just to give, I'm taking that example. You have another example is that the justice system, for example, if you know it is a very corrupt justice system, and anytime you have a there's a problem with an employee, and they go to court, and then you are penalized uh, unduly. You have to pay X Y Z, or they try to come threaten to close your you know your business, or et cetera, et cetera. Those are you know things that you need to do to make sure you put proper thing in place. That's what I call the ease of doing business to facilitate to make life you know, easy for you to do what you need to do, which is producing and delivering and paying your taxes, everything you need to do, et cetera. That's, that's how the way I would put it. So, well, of course, uh, you and I know that uh, one of the most important things for investors is to manage risk. And this risk is financial, it's sovereign, it's regulatory, this, this, and the other. In your view, how important is regulatory certainty for uh, investors. You've spoken, for instance, about having a law and uh, judicial systems, but then having them corrupted, which for all intents and purposes undermines uh, certainty. How important is regulatory certainty as a measure of uh, the friendliness or lack thereof of an investment environment? It's probably the most important. It's probably the most important. If I cannot feel certain or feel reasonably, you know, uh, you know, assured that things will go a certain way, I would want, I would not want to do business in a particular environment. I would go somewhere else. I would prefer to pay premium, pay more in a different environment. But at least I know what I can expect. I can predict. I can anticipate because I want to be sure that. At the end of the day, when I'm telling my shareholders, or the, you know, that we are anticipating, we are budgeting 
uh, we are projecting a profit of XYZ or X, X return, that I have all, all what it takes to make that happen. Now, if the uncertainty may make that I can, I may have to close, and I've seen that by the way, if certain countries, you know, you have judicial system or whatever, because you need to pay X, Y, Z, whether it's, it's a bribe or somebody who wants to do a similar, similar business or who want for whatever reason to come to push you out, then, uh, and you may have to, to close down for a month or two. Well, you can imagine the impact on your results. Absolutely. So definitely regulatory um, certainty and particularly enforcement, the quality of the enforcement, because you may have all of the nice um, laws in place, but at the end of the day, the enforcement is zero or very little. And again, this is a disaster. So you don't want that. So uh, this is interesting because as you know, I, I lean towards uh, mineral oil and gas uh, industries. And here countries either have a natural advantage of geology or they don't. And uh, my experience, Philip, is that many countries, especially in emerging markets, overstate their case in terms of mineral endowment, assuming that if they have the minerals, the investors will come and that the investors uh, don't really have a choice. How realistic is that attitude towards uh, investors and how well does it or doesn't work in reality? Listen, very unrealistic. I mean, you, it, you know, if you want first-class investors, people will abide by the rules and will pay you what they need to pay you, will pay the taxes and will not be going into trying to bribe X, Y, Z, I mean, do things, you know, the way they should do. Well, they won't come to you. I won't put names, but when I was working um, for um, the World Bank Group, and I, I, I know a case of a, a particular country, because we're talking about mining, where there was a lot of shady things happening um, because in a mining project, and it was a big multinational, and basically these multinational would not do their certain things that they would not do. And we were ourselves also an investor and there are certain things that they knew that they could not afford to do because we were a part of it jointly uh, with them. Well they eventually had to leave the country. And we even, um, for there's things so bad that were done that we even pulled out, uh, you know, our staff and all we are doing as a matter of protest because there are so, so many shitty things being done. So, and I can tell you that country in terms of level of investment that they have, they probably have, maybe, I don't know, one tenth of maybe of what they could have attracted because they have plenty of, of, of resources, particularly not only mineral resources, but all kinds of resources, but particular of natural resources, but particularly because of the environment. And what I mean, the environment, the, the regulatory environment, not in terms of just what is written, but the enforcement and the way they do business. That's extraordinary. So 
You know, you make a very important point uh, because you have nuanced it, what I think really perfectly, which is this, that there, there are blue chip companies and then there's the run of the mill. And that if a country has blue chip resources, which sounds like the country you're describing, if they get everything right, they should also attract first-class companies. And that we delude ourselves if we think any company will do, because not every company uh, has the interest of the host country at heart. And, and that if we get investor relations right, we are more likely to attract the investors we deserve and not find ourselves lumped with uh, small timers who are coming to us with bad intentions. And I think, uh, Philip, that that is very important and fear that in the countries I've worked uh, on the continent of Africa, that subtlety is lost. The assumption is that every investor is the right investor, but that's not true, is it? Definitely not, as you say, it's definitely not true. Definitely not true. So let's look at the investors. Uh, we've talked about when we say first class investor, apart from lack of corruption, apart from complying with rule of law, what are we looking for? What, what should countries uh, be looking for in terms of the profile of investor they would like to attract as they create these trade promotion uh, agencies? Um, as a, they, they should be able, they should be trying to attract investors that are prepared to play by the rules. I think that's fundamental. That they will come, they will care for the environment, for example. So they want to go and they will have their proper water treatment plant, not going and throwing away, not putting all kinds of chemicals, not of pollutants in the air, et cetera, et cetera. There were some parameters that they need to respect, make sure, I mean, look at how those people behave. That's very important because when you, when you think of the long-term survival of people in this country, obviously that will affect their health and all kinds of issues if you don't do things properly. And so that's, that's actually important. People will care um, for the well-being, frankly, also of people in society. That's what you call the social impact. And the social impact, frankly, it's you can find nowadays more and more people, it's the talk about the, 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 the idea of what they used to call the triple bottom line. It's no longer like just profit, 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 but the people don't only, big companies and in general, we don't talk only about shareholders, we talk about stakeholders. And stakeholders are people in the country in which you do business, people um, in the environment where you work. For example, we're talking about, if we think mining, you go mining in an area where maybe the population, there's a lot of services that they don't have. Well, the kind of investors you want to attract are people who will be willing to also make sure they improve the quality of life of the population around them. And frankly, it's in their own interest. It's just that you, you buy your, your, your license to operate because frankly, 
if you are good, if you're a good company, you are you are good with the people in, in the environment where you work. You 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 have built schools, you have built hospital, you treat people well. People have a decent pay. People have decent have have coverage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You not only you continue yourself also to make money, but those people will be your best advocate for the long term. And actually, the government will understand that they better not fool around too much with you because those people will be against any government that want to treat to treat you bad. Because remember, at the time of the votes. The government want, will remember that. So you you want to be as a company, a good corporate citizens. And if you're a government, this is this type of companies that you want to attract. Mm. So you you've sort of gone full cycle, uh, Philippe. So we started off with the government really being the first point of call. But what you are saying is that actually, while the government and the regulatory environment and the ease of doing business is important. But actually, progressive companies realize that. Uh, yes. That's just one of the relationships, that a bigger relationship is with the, the country and the environment and the people that they interface, including em employee, because these are the people who will verify for the brand. And, and, and that your biggest investment is building this brand, building this reputation, and therefore forming these partnerships that begin to go beyond the, the law of the land and, and really add a value proposition. And, and my sense is that when companies are looking for investors, that is the profile they ought to be looking for. What is your value proposition? Not do you have technical competencies? That should be a given, isn't it? Of course. I mean, if you don't have it, there is no point for you to come. Absolutely. So you have the unique uh, privilege that you have worked in many regions of the world as uh, vice president at the IFC in Latin America and the Caribbean uh, region, and then in uh, Africa, Sub-Sahara and other parts of Africa. So I, I do have to ask you, when you look at these regions uh, and look at uh, the first of the private sector and its attitude towards building relations, and then of course government uh, and its attitude towards creating a, a conducive environment, have you detected any trends, uh, one or the other, or any differences for that matter? You mean between the regions? Yes, please. Uh, well, I think it is linked to more, more than region per se, but I would say the level of quote-unquote what I would call development of the country. What they have been exposed to and the understanding of the rest of the world, what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. More than, um, more than being cultural, because at the end of the day, most people, you know, they like looking after how, how much money they make, how this and that, and that's on top of the investors. Of course, some of the investors, I say, look at a bigger package, but many of them you have, that, that's a fact of life. And also what you have in terms of, of, of governments, it's really 
often some of I don't want to say they are desperate, but some of them want to attract as many. They are at the stage where they are building. In other words, they are not well known yet, quote unquote, in terms of that. they don't have so many big multinationals working coming to to invest, and they have they don't have locally so many billionaires or large investors. So basically, uh, they are still. I don't want to call it an infancy stage, but it's kind of an early stage of attracting investors. Um, so what you will have, those, those countries that are more advanced in their development have already been able to attract some large multinational, have been more exposed, quote unquote, other ones in general, it's not 100% uh, always the case. But in general, that's where you have more leverage and they have those kind of discussions and things like that. That's interesting. More than a matter of a regional. Yes, you have some cultural aspects here, here and there, but overall it's more on the level of, at least from my experience of these economies. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I sort of thought I knew the answer. I thought you might say, well, in Latin America, this is what we see in the Caribbean, in Africa. But what you're really saying is it's, that's not so much the issue as the stage in the economic development and the level of maturity in terms of the, the industry. And that is what sort of makes the difference. Let me ask you another question. So, of course, when we speak of investors, uh, it conjures up images of uh, inflows from outside being brought into the country because you have foreign entities uh, putting boots on the ground. While that is true, we also, of course, have, uh, don't we, uh, you know, citizen entrepreneurs. Should governments have a different attitude, different strategy for managing relations between themselves and uh, indigenous firms relative to foreign investors? Frankly, I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I think investors are investors. The rules of the game, in my view, must be the same for all. What will happen is that local investors actually have a natural, should have, not should have, but have a natural advantage in the sense that they understand the environment better they know regardless of all kind of facilitation that you put in place, there will be, it will be easier for them to navigate that environment to do a number of things. So in that regard, so I think that you should have a level playing field if you want to have uh, you know, proper competition um, and having the best that you can from all. Having said that, certain sectors and you will want whether for strategic reasons or whether for because you have the poorest of the poor and you want you know some people to continue to make a living and at your stage of development they cannot sustain certain level of competition you will have to manage to to i don't want to call it protect but help certain sectors. I'll, I'll give you um, an, an example. And, and, and again, um, I, I have seen that 
obviously we are not talking about the same kind of investors, but they are investors. So I have to, to, to consider, call it like that. But you have, I have seen countries a, in Africa in particular, where you have investors. And when I call investors, I said, law people coming in, in taking the business of what you would call also the Madame, the, you know that expression, Madame Sarah or not? The, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 I mean, you, you have people coming up in consumption countries and mm -hmm. taking these people businesses. You know, obviously it's not very sophisticated people. It's people who are may, maybe they can have a business that, that run, it's more trading, more on a 50,000, 100,000. That's how they make a living, sending mm. kids to school and stuff like that. And I am using that expression, I'm talking about investors because at the end of the day, if you, you should try to protect this kind of, of, of people because often, you know, that's the, the, the basic, the bread and butter and the lowest level, you know, not lowest, but a very low level in the, econo in the economy. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. I do indeed, what you're, what you're saying and, and is- And that's why, obviously, if I'm talking about some big mining company or some big cement company or things like that, they, they need to have a, a level playing field. But and for these small, uh group um sometimes in some countries in kenya they call them juwakali and all etc i i found that unacceptable to have you know um some foreign uh investors if i were to call them like that coming and take you know their business yes it's it's sort of like uh if you have and i've seen that yes you are right and and we see it also to be fair in mining, the way it manifests itself as mining is either in the space of uh, what we call juniors, or for that matter, in well-regulated uh, artisanal mining environments, you, you do have those fly-in people. And to a point, they displace uh, small businesses that would otherwise uh, be the mom and pop uh, equivalent, providing food on the table and putting children to school. I think one of the countries that uh, manages that space very well is uh, Ethiopia in the uh, gold artisanal mining where they create cooperatives. And part of why they do that is to make sure that uh, other people from different parts of the world don't come and displace uh, the, the needs of, of those uh, countries. Now, um, you mentioned an experience at the IFC some time ago in a, an African country in which you know, the IFC had to simply, you know, close shop because of uh, poor governance. Uh, but also that suggests that with you, with that, the uh, DFIs can be the voice of reason uh, in those circumstances. I, I was going to ask you, what of um, countries uh, of origin for multinationals? It, should countries of origin for multinationals doing business in emerging markets uh, have an interest in how they conduct themselves in, relative to corruption, governance, and relations with government, or should it be simply a matter of the host country and the investor? Not, 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 not only they should, but I personally think that they must. And I think this should be part of the conversation, the bilateral conversations. 
between host government and um, the gov the countries of origin of those some of those big uh, companies or multinational, etc. And as you probably know, certain countries already um, they penalize their companies or who would do bad, I mean, who would misbehave overseas, who would get involved in, you know, non-paying the taxes or fraud or things like that, etc. And I think this is something that, because frankly, what happened often is that in the host countries, and I'm talking the developing countries where you have some of those mines, if we take, keep the example of mining, well, even if you have decent governance, even when you have great government, you know, you, you have a problem of um, the, not, not the justice system, but the, the whole system to manage all this, you don't have all of the, the capabilities the administration is not strong enough and so on and so forth. So the way to deal with it also, because as you, as you mentioned earlier, you have two parties. Yes, if you have corruption, it's both from the government side, yeah, okay, but it's also from the company side, from the big, the, the big mining company, the big corporation. Because if they don't accept you know, the bribes or getting involved into, the, into those uh, practices, those fortune practices, they would not happen. So the way that you can try to prevent that is to have bilateral good conversation with the country of origins to say, please help us. And you have more leverage on your companies than we do. And we will provide you the information if they do something wrong. But then if they know when you have that information, you can it's prove it can be verified that indeed did something wrong, etc., they will be penalized, then they won't do it. And that's why it's very important, in my view, to have the cooperation of the country of origins of those big companies. Yes, I think you're right. I think it. It is the United States that has the uh, 1502.Frank Act, and also you have the Anti-Corruption Act, and the UK and Europe have similar uh, legislations that go beyond uh, the uh, you know, home country jurisdiction and will pursue uh, companies beyond their, their boundaries. Because to your point, right. they recognize that sometimes, even with the best will in the world, there isn't enough judicial and institutional robustness to be able to enforce the law. And, and to the extent that these uh, companies that may not mean emerging market uh, countries well, uh, if they think there is somebody watching them in the rear mirror, then my sense is that they, they will behave differently. Here is uh, my last question to you. I mean, today uh, the world is talking about uh, decarbonizing the environment and uh, we have minerals being critical in that space. When you think about the geopolitics of critical minerals, how do you think, if at all, they may impact the way that this tripartite relationship of the host country, the country of origin, and investors? Do you see a different dynamic in which perhaps the host countries 
raise their voice a bit more because of uh, demand for critical minerals and the need to fire up their own industry? So do you see you know, this whole conversation still largely left between investors and uh, host countries? Well, I see that uh, the possibility, hopefully the countries will be able to take advantage of that window of opportunity and assert themselves and talk more about it. That, 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 that's definitely an opportunity for them to do that. Now, will that happen? And, um, oh, and will there is other influence to prevent that to happen? It's all in the air, it's all possible, but I, but I agree with Amos. Not that you say that it's going to happen, but I agree that this is something that they should consider. And again, that's part of the role I see for some of the IFIs in terms of advising government, in terms of influencing, particularly developing countries, how they react, how they, how they be, behave in a way. And so that's definitely part of their roles also to make to inform them of all those opportunities and hopefully uh i don't say push them but uh let's put it facilitate that kind of dialogue by providing support give, giving them expert to explain to show to do some analysis to show them what they can get and eventually you know train the uh, well, uh, government officials, technicians to understand exactly what that means and how that can how they can make things happen for them. That's fantastic. Well, uh, Philippe, it's been lovely speaking with you. I really appreciate your taking the time, given how busy you are. Thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you for having me. Thanks.